Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Episode 58. Reduce circulars to a maximum of one per term. Up until a few years ago, there used to be three letters that would make the blood of any principal freeze with worry and cause the entire community of the school to become absolutely hysterical. And those three letters were W, S, E, a whole school evaluation, where an inspector would come and visit and cast their judgment on how well the school was doing in some areas and how poorly they were doing in others. To be honest, these days, WSCs are seen now to be treated as just an annoying, basically another annoying inconvenience on top of the piles of inconveniences that seem to be piled onto schools all the time. And one of these inconveniences, uh, inconveniences is the number of circulars that are produced by the Department of Education. And there's so many of them. As principals and their staff try and catch up with the latest one, there's another one that comes to contradict it. And add the input of stakeholders such as patron bodies, unions, representative groups and all the rest of them who all want to share their version of interpreting that circular, there could be over 300 documents for schools to read and enact. And on top of this, these circulars tend to never be announced directly to schools. No, they wouldn't actually tell schools directly what these circulars are. In fact, we tend to hear about them in newspapers and sometimes now on Twitter. Um, If you've been uh, on Twitter lately, you'll notice circulars are now being announced there. And in this episode, I'm going to be trying to convince you that if I were the Minister for Education, I would be reducing the number of circulars to a maximum of one per term. Hello, hello, you are very welcome to episode 58 of If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis. I was just thinking about my WSE now uh, that I mentioned it there in the introduction and the one in my school was probably no different really to anyone else's. Um, The inspectors rocked in for a few days, asked me to fill in some sort of form with the areas, you know, I believed we were doing well. And um, and then I had to fill in the areas that I felt we needed some improvement in. Uh, They went off and they visited a few classes and they kind of concluded that we were really good in the areas that I had written down um, and really bad at the areas where I felt we needed extra help. And to be fair, the inspectors themselves grand say they had to leave uh, you know they have to have this persona and I played along with it for most part but we all knew uh, we were having a bit of a dance you know it was a kind of a dance for some sort of box ticking exercise you know it was basically about a week or so of inconvenience I think is the best word because to be fair once your school knows what it's doing inspections are merely at best a nuisance rather than something to be feared However, over the last decade, I've noticed that the WSE is just another nuisance rather than just the only nuisance on top of very, very regular nuisances that have in the last few years come to schools. And I'd almost argue that these things are more stressful than a WSE these days because of how they came about. Let me let me try and convince you um, with a couple of examples. 
Here's the first one. Drihid. <laughs> um, I haven't spoken about Drihid for a while, but this is my first example. Drihid is basically a nuisance for everyone. It has absolutely no purpose whatsoever. Whatsoever. For those of you that don't know what it is, Drihid came from the seed of an idea from the chief inspector who infamously announced these plans at, the, at an IPPN conference, I think it was back in 2011, that inspectors were no longer going to be inspecting newly qualified teachers and the job of doing that would fall on principles. Now, it was met, and if people may remember this if they've been in the job long enough, I was there that day, uh, it was met in just this brilliant pantomime-style exchange where all 1,000 or so principals growled, Oh, no, we won't! And he responded in stereotypical villain style of, Oh, yes, you will, as the room erupted into grumbles and heckles and all sorts. I, I, I'm, I'm sure at least one principal in the room said, It'll never happen. Oh. Gosh, I, I mean, I really, now that I'm saying, I really miss when the IPPN conference actually had a bit of crack in them. Oh, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I still enjoy going to the conference, you know, to be honest with you, to basically to meet my fellow principals. But it's just, it's just really a lack of something. Do you know, you know the times where you just didn't quite know what was going to be said by the speakers? You know, it was usually Sean Cottrell in his speech or maybe Damien White in his poems or something like that. You know, you didn't know what was coming and it was usually kind of fun or, or you know, it make you gasp maybe. It's just, it's just too slick now, I think. You know, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit too media managed. You know, safe. Sa yeah, I mean, it's just safe. That, that's the word, it's safe. Anyway, sorry, back to my point. Despite the pantomime with Harold Hislop, Drihid basically came in without a whimper of protest from the IPPN in the end, despite 80% of their members polled vehemently against it. Similarly, the INTO, for some reason, I have no idea why this is, so I, I'm, I've asked and asked and asked and I never get a satisfactory response. Despite 90% of their members vehemently, I mean, not just, I mean, vehemently, <laughs> how can I say that word more strongly, opposing it as well, the INTO did everything they could to push it through and to quote John Carr in a, in a, in a, um, in a, in a discussion he had, which I recorded uh, in case it's ever denied this ever happened. Uh, he basically said that the INTO did everything they could to get it over the line. And they got it over the line by simply making the whole process meaningless. Yes, principals don't have to pass or fail an NQT like the DIP used to do, but instead principals, basically principals, have to fill out a load of documents which are passed on to somebody, somebody invisible in an office, who now has the job to look at these documents to make sure that the newly qualified teacher, the NQT, believes it in his or her heart that they're good enough to remain teaching. I mean, that's basically what Drehid is now. It's, it's kind of bizarre. And despite me asking how many NQTs have ticked the no box, uh, by the way, because this is what you have to do. Sorry, if you're an NQT, at the end of your year, you have to tick a box to say whether you feel you've satisfactorily completed your, your induction year in the school. Now, I don't know what NQT in their right mind would say, I, do you know what, I don't, I don't really think I'd, I had a great year, I, 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 you know, I won't tick the box, because if you tick the box, it means that you're, you, you, can, you, you basically, you know, go on the point of scale of pay uh, in, in a more meaningful way. Um, so, I mean, I asked uh, the teaching council because, 
you know, I, I, I would assume uh, the teaching council would keep records of how many people have decided that they have completed uh, their uh, NQT year satisfactorily and those who've said no. And uh, I got that answer. And interestingly, oh no, we, we, we don't keep records of that. So my guess is that the answer to the question of how many NQTs have decided they need a little extra support the following year or need to repeat their induction year is somewhere, I would say, close to zero. And I would possibly be go further in saying it is zero. In some ways, it isn't Drihid itself that's caused the stress, to be honest with you. Drihid in itself, and I don't want to go on too long about Drihid in particular because I will do in a future episode, but it can be mirrored in dozens of different initiatives that have come to pass in the last decade in primary schools. This box ticking nonsense that means nothing. I mean, just Drihid itself isn't a bad idea. Do you know? I mean, I, I mean, from the very start, while I'm absolutely opposed to Drihid uh, and, I, and I remain consistently opposed to Drihid, I don't think in itself it's a bad idea. Um, and some people might find it strange hearing me say this, despite the fact I think it should be scrapped. The idea of Drihid is good. The problem with Drahid is that it replaced a system that acted as a kind of a, a reasonable gatekeeper um, for, for, for people that were basically not good enough to be teachers. And it used to catch up to 4% of people who weren't cut out to be teachers because of the dip. An inspector could come along and yes, it did. the inspector system was a terrible system as well. I'm not saying, I'm not saying we should do that. Every time I do this, people go, oh, well, it's better than the inspectorate. Yeah, I'd scrap both of those systems. They're both terrible systems. But Drihid is actually worse than the inspectorate system again, because it, you know, it, 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 it doesn't catch the 4% of people who aren't cut out to be teachers. And while Drihid shouldn't be this gatekeeper, something else needs to catch these people. And this is one cause of stress for schools because up to one, and I don't think it's all 4%, it's about 2% of people who uh, who come out of college shouldn't be teachers. And up to one in 50, that's one in 50, by the way, teachers coming into the system are substandard. It's, it's just, that's, they're the statistics. However, that's not the biggest cause of stress. There are two things. First is now we have a completely meaningless system for inducting NQTs, which involves huge amounts of extra work for teachers and a load of paperwork, uh, which always concludes with the person involved achieving the same result. They never say they are unsatisfactory. They always, not one single NQT has ever said that they had an unsatisfactory induction year. I know, I, like, I, if it happened, I, we, I, I would love to see who that person is uh, because... They need a, I don't know what they need. I was going to say they need a, they need a good talking to. But, um, you know, ultimately no one has ever put that they haven't done enough. So it's meaningless because zero people fail it. Every system has to be tested by its worst case scenario. And if nobody is failing a particular induction or nobody's struggling in an induction kind of thing, there's a problem. And there's never a situation where someone will fill out all of his paperwork and not be considered inducted, even if they do nothing almost nothing at least. That's just one aspect, okay? And I go on about this a bit. The second aspect is the knowledge that despite 90% of us being completely against the idea of Drihid, and I would imagine if we polled people again, um, our representative body, or the INTO, treated us with, not, not just, didn't just ignored us really, you know, they treated us with absolute contempt and went against us, went against their own profession 
and pushed it through. Pushed it through. It steamrolled in with no buy-in from the majority of people. It was forced upon us and done in such a way that it was done sneakily over a five-year period, bit by bit, in order to ensure there weren't enough people to rise up against it. And I'm not saying anything controversial. That's exactly what happened. But let's go on, because Drihid is just one example. The same could be said for the school completion programme moving to Tusla from the Department of Education's clutches. I know it's moved, it's moving back, uh, but let's see what happened, because I don't think anything's going to change once it moves back. I haven't heard of a single school that thinks the new model of school completion uh, school completion is good. It was it whatever whatever problems there were with it before. Nobody nobody has said not not one school, and I've spoken to. I think I've spoken to every single school in this ma- in this matter. Not a single school believes the new model for school completion is good. However, only um, you know, only about ten percent of schools actually have the service of school completion program. So it's very easy to drown out our voices. And again, the pattern is the same. Schools are rightly against the model. There's no buy-in, and our representative bodies did nothing. Not a thing to even try and stop them from coming in. They had a listening service. And then they did no follow-up when they listened and heard how everybody did not want it. School completion program is now a shadow of what it is, or what it was, and because of the level of paperwork needed to get a smidgen of any input from a school completion worker, many schools simply don't have the hours required to fill in the ridiculous levels of paperwork for less than an hour a week of, you know, of, of intervention. It's basically another inconvenience. Let's look at SSE, a third example. Again, nobody thinks it's a good idea. It was just foisted upon us by actually, I mean, as much as I liked Rory Quinn's um, tenure in terms of um, in terms of secularizing the education system, which he actually failed on. I kind of, as I look back on, on his tenure, I, 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 I kind of feel he really underachieved. He really, really underachieved and could, I mean, considering his experience at the time, he didn't fight hard enough for that. But anyway, I'm going off tangent there. But SSE was something he basically brought in. And nobody thinks it's a good idea. And the reality is it isn't a good idea because if you can find me one school, a single school in the country, who has done an SSE report which finds out that their school failed to achieve the targets that they set out that year, I'd be shocked. So ultimately, it becomes, again, another piece of pointless paperwork because it's meaningless. A 100% success rate means nothing, and it means something is wrong. And why are we doing it? Because nobody stops it. That's why. I don't really understand it, but nobody stops it. I'm going to give a fourth example, because I can. I could give you loads of examples. The 64-point child protection checklist is just another example. It forces schools to fill out a 64-point checklist of things of which the vast majority do nothing to make a child feel safe or be safe. However, if you don't have one of those items checked off, your school is shamed into not being compliant with child protection. What school would want that on their public record? And the only time I've actually heard the INTO protesting a little bit at all on anything in the last 10 years was when Sheila Noonan stated that the new child protection measures wouldn't make any child safer. And she was absolutely right. Yes, every school needs a child protection plan, but following a checklist which is more interested in bureaucracy than children is yet another inconvenience. And as much as Sheila Noonan was right, the INTO did nothing to stop it. And they did nothing to stop that layer of inconvenience into the system, which only serves to give inspectors something to do because their job is getting less and less 
because they don't have to do as much as they were doing before and their job is becoming more and more about paperwork than engaging on education. I, I mean, seriously, I could go on and on, but I've come kind of full circle from inspectors back to inspectors again. And I think you get the point. The initiatives in themselves may be well-meaning, but how they've been outputted to the system has added a burden of stress to schools and everyone that works in them. And more and more are coming. Because when we add, because we can just look at things that have been added on uh, over the last number, uh, uh, last number of years. Um, because your body, you know, these are things that when your representative bodies weren't standing in the way of these initiatives. Um, things like FSSU, another job for basically schools to do. Uh, SEAI, uh, I'm sorry for the acronyms here for those of you who don't know what they are, but if you're a teacher, you'll know what they are. Or even the NEWB passing on extra work for zero compensation, whether it's monetary or time compensation. Schools are feeling the pinch. We are getting all these things. Now, they're being given to boards of management, but everybody knows boards of management are basically, you know, they don't do the work. This, it's the principal and the teachers in the school that do all the work. Um, and we're getting nothing for, for the effort and no one is stopping them from happening. The amount of financial responsibility that's been added to schools in the last decade is ridiculous. And we don't have anyone to do it. Who, I mean, who's really doing it? And where's the money coming from for them to do it? The SEAI, the energy kind of things. So is it just another thing to throw onto somebody else in the school that already is overburdened with work? And then the EWO, uh, the NEWP passing on their work again for nothing. Again, somebody else has to do it, usually a teacher in a school or a principal. However, one of the biggest changes in the last number of years, um, apart from all the initiatives, is the amount of circulars that are published by the Department of Education every single year. Now, obviously, the Department of Education have to publish circulars and one can't really argue with that. You don't mind the fact they have to publish uh, circulars because obviously that's part of the job. They have to let schools know about changes to terms and conditions or the dates of certain things, like when panels are released and so on. However, it's the sheer number of them that's risen in the last few years and their content it basically has added more and more stress onto an already very, very stressful landscape. I want to bring you back to 1997. <laughs> 1997, I don't know if any of you uh, are, are, are remember 1997. It was the end of Britpop, really. Spice Girls were coming in, you know, were pretty much girl power. All that sort of stuff was going on. Coldplay happened. You see, I mean, music started to get worse, shall we say, in 1997. And, you know, but on a more positive side of things, 40 circulars were released that year. 40 circulars were released in 1997 if you were working uh, as, a, as a teacher in primary schools. Or actually, it, it, and this 40 circulars encompassed all circulars, not just for primary schools, it also included secondary schools. In 1998, there were only 25. So 1997 must have been a bad year. Clearly, the music was affecting them. Um, there were 45 in 1999. They were back again. I think Coldplay probably released their second album maybe uh, that year. And 47 in 2000. Um, anyway, even forwarding on to 2012, so so 12, 13 years later, there were only 43 circulars per year. However, the following year, things started taking a turn. And since 2015, there have been no fewer than 80 circulars per year. That's over two per week released by the Department of Education throughout the school year and almost double what they were only a couple of decades ago. And the trouble with decades is while some of them are simple informational things requiring subtle changes to terms and conditions, some of them are massive sweeping changes. 
The trouble with them is they generally are very vague, they're obtuse, verbose, and other words that this podcast has been called. Only joking. Seriously, though, although we, we probably are called those things. Anyway, they generally require interpretation. And do you know who loves interpreting circulars? Do you know? Well, guess who loves interpreting Department of Education circulars? Yeah, that's right. Everybody, yes, the INTO loved to claim that they were central to all the things in the circular that even with the greatest stretch of the imagination were positive things. And then they will summarise them, ensuring that the main aim of their explanation is to say how brilliant they were in terms of getting the circular doing something positive in their eyes or something. I don't know. And where there's bits they don't like, they use hysterical language where you think they were beating the doors down of the Department of Education. But the reality is they basically are being, you know, they're given to keyboard warriors and Facebook as they do nothing to actually change the issues. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I know, pot kettle black with me. What am I doing? Yeah, fair enough. I'm making a podcast. Hooray for me. I'm not a keyboard warrior. What am I, microphone warrior or something like that? But I mean, ultimately, <laughs> I'm not getting paid to uh, represent teachers. Uh, and this is all I can do um, for the moment. I wish I could do more. Anyway, then we have the IPPN. Oh, no, the IPPN. They are great uh, at explaining, um, I don't know, they sort of explaining circulars of the Department of Education. They, they tend to kind of scurry around spending hours and days of time trying to summarise the circular so the principal's don't have to read the circular and they can read the IPPN version of the circular, which is quite similar to the circular. And but they which which but basically what they do is they uh, then add um I don't know I don't know, they they added kind of a line saying that we'll provide supports to principals by calling our, our phone line and we'll support you if you're feeling hard done by or whatever it is. Uh, maybe that that's not very fair, but you know they, they do tend to summarize all the uh, all, all these things every every week. Um, and you know they they what they do is really, um, you know, kind of oh, I don't know. They host workshops sometimes around the country, uh, depending on the circular. Uh, they add supports to their principal support hotline, as I said. Rather, than, I mean, what they should be doing is actually saying to the INTO. What I'm trying to get at is they should be saying to the INTO. Lads, will you put a stop to this? We're not a, an IR kind of thing. We're not in charge of industrial relations. You are. Would you please have a word with your friends in the department and stop them with all these circulars? But anyway, after they're finished screwing around doing all that work the Department of Education should have done, the Department of Education produced their own version after a few months and tells schools to stop using the IPPN version of the help. I mean, this, I, I don't know if that's clear, but like, I'll just explain a situation where this actually happened. This is when the child, the best example is the child protection guidelines, the 64 point checklist I was referring to. The children first guidelines came out, okay, and they were updated. And effectively, what happened was um, all schools had to have their plans produced by a certain date. I think it was December 2016, 2007, I can't remember. But the Department of Education actually didn't produce any templates for schools. So the IPPN, as lovely as they are, and they are lovely, made the templates and sent two of their board members around the country at great expense to themselves and great time to themselves to train every single principal in the country in filling out these forms that they had produced because the Department of Education hadn't got their finger out to produce them. And after a couple of months later, when all of the work had been done, the Department of Education finally produced the templates well after the deadline. And when... um, 
and they forced the Department of Education forced all schools to use the Department of Education's and told them they could not use the IPPN's versions. Now, do you think the IPPN complained? Because I would have. Not a, no, not at all. Not at all. To be honest, I'll have to be honest. This is the moment I realised the IPPN had no had no teeth. They'd lost their whatever teeth they had, and they and they did. I know that's not fair. They they had lost whatever teeth they had. Anyway, that's for another day. We'll talk about that again. Let's get back to circulars. Um, and who, who likes looking at them? Other people that like looking at circulars are patron bodies. Yes, you all have one. And um, they like to get their noses into these circulars. And, you know, the main role of the biggest one, uh, the biggest patron body, that's the, the Catholic Church, is to ensure that they don't fall foul of their religious dogma. That's what they care about. And generally, if it doesn't really do that, they tend to do nothing. They they might throw in a bit of faux outrage, but if you look at the things they've actually complained about, like actually complained about, and the things they've, um, you know, done something about, uh, it would be very interesting reading. And, and I, I would implore you to actually look at the things that the CPSMA or other Catholic organisations have actually gone out and really done something about. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, the, the, I mean, look, it, it, it's all to do with religion, uh, effectively, and, and the Catholic um, version of uh, some of the things that come out. Anyway, um, that's the INTO, the IPPN, and patron bodies. That's just three agencies getting their noses stuck into every single circle that gets out. And then you have lots of other people digging around, interpreting things in their own way. And at the end of the day, because every school is a private body, schools are left to do it by themselves with their own interpretation. And all of this takes an inordinate amount of time. And this is the issue here. When one has over 80 circulars from the Department of Education, which all have to be read and interpreted in a myriad of ways, there simply isn't enough time to deal with them all. And when they come on a Friday evening, which seemed to be a bit of a trend, well, that's another story. And maybe there's no point getting into that, because to, to me, publishing circulars on a Friday evening simply demonstrates how little the Department of Education cares about school leaders. And given that it took months for the INTO to comment on that fact, um, it also shows the contempt that they continue to have for school leaders. If there was one thing that the IPPN did for a while, whether they knew it or not, was they kept the people in power on their toes back in the day. The minute they were invited to those chicken dinners with the other big boys a few years ago, conditions for school leaders began to deteriorate and slide. And while I know that might sound like a very big allegation and a very big accusation, think back to when things started to get really bad for school leaders in terms of expectations of extra workload. Now the IPPM might come back to me and tell me that I'm being completely unfair. Didn't they raise the number of circulars with the Minister for Education as far back as 2018? Was I not sat in the big tent at the IPPM conference when the Minister of that time, Joe McHugh, promised he would slow things down? Now, some of you principals would remember that. Do you remember Joe McHugh saying he'd, you know, he might have forgotten, but remember it was just after he was buttering us up with offers of a cup of tea and a bit of cake. And just before most of the room, and maybe you'll remember this, most of the room embarrassingly gave him a standing ovation. Well, I would also suggest, while this wasn't the lowest moment to ever appear in the big tent at the IPPN conference, it was definitely a close second. Um, I, I mean, even the uh, time where um, a principal was 
dragged kicking and screaming out of the venue by security uh, still rates as less embarrassing than the standing ovation for Joe McHugh. Um, but I suppose, <laughs> I don't know, uh, I, um, I presume you probably want to know if um, the standing ovation for Joe McHugh is only the second most embarrassing thing that ever happened at the conference. Well, the first most embarrassing one involved over a thousand principals giving Joanna Tuffy a rousing applause after she gave an example of what she considered inclusion but was actually racism. Honestly, it's, it's actually nearly worth being a principal just to watch this stuff unfold. Anyway, in any case, despite Joe McHugh uh, being the only person to receive a, a standing ovation at the conference since Sean Cottrell's retirement, Joe McHugh was good to his word and there were no more circulars after January 2019. The Primary Education Forum was established and the IPBN, INTO and Department of Education all got together to ensure that principal workload was reduced and huge progress was made. We all got the time and space we needed to catch up on the relentless pressure we've been put under and... Yeah, right. No, that year we had almost exactly the same number of circulars published and there was not a single let up in the amount of workload that principals were given. Embarrassingly again, the big boys tried to pretend they'd make great progress because there was a pause to the rollout of the new maths curriculum. That's, that's honestly true. Honestly true. I, I actually wish I'd made things up in the podcast. I, I mean, I, apart from that last paragraph where I said um, the wonderful things that had happened, that's what I make up. I wish the bad things I said were made up. But um, anyway, some people might say this is just probably just, you know, it's probably to do with COVID. You know, everything bad that happens, he says, probably to do with COVID. You know, COVID has really been difficult. And, you know, this is just the way it is. And there had to be ever-changing changes to the system over the last 16 months or so, you know, and with COVID and everything else, do you know? Well, <laughs> let me tell you, the Department of Education, are, we're, we're a crafty bunch. They are crafty enough. If you look, how many circulars have been released this year, remembering that we are going through COVID-19 right now and there should be I mean, if we were, if we should be lucky to have 80 a year and there should be loads of circulars. And there's only 29 so far. So don't get too excited. Um, but if my maths is correct, that means we are due to have less than 70 circulars for the first time in nearly a decade by my mathematics. And does that mean I've just been very, very, very harsh on poor Joe McHugh, who has kept to his word after all? And does that mean that I should go around apologising to all the principals that gave him a standing ovation? Well, my friends, you've missed this wonderful new idea from the Department of Education. Instead of releasing new circulars all the time, the Department of Education has discovered they can release loads of circulars, but they can call them information notes or memos or documents and any other name but circular. And there are loads of them. If you are an average person, which most people I believe are, hence the word average, the last time you probably looked at the Department of Education's guidelines for COVID-19 was maybe last August 2020 when you were trying to get your school open when the back to school plans were released. Maybe you've looked at it a couple of times since. You know they were kind of sparse enough at the time, but they had you know they had everything one needed to know about going back to school. If you haven't looked at it since, have a look at it today. Do you want to know where all those missing circulars are? There they are. You're welcome. Have a look. There are dozens 
and dozens and dozens of documents, videos and all sorts of things that the Department of Education don't even, te- even bother telling you about. Um, do you know, I mean, uh, if you were listening to the podcast last week, I went through the ventilation guidelines or whatever they're called. And there's six documents on ventilation guidelines. It's, it's amazing. None of them are in a circular. But there's six documents on it. Uh, another example was, did you read the Supporting the Wellbeing of School Communities Guidance for Schools Returning to School Spring 2021? Well, have a look at it. If you could try and find it, number one, it's very difficult to find. But find it. It's worth it just for the lovely picture on page 10, which will do exactly the opposite to your well-being than it purports to do. There is a challenge for you. It says, Supporting the Wellbeing of School Communities Guidance for Schools Returning to School, Spring 2021, page 10. Look at the picture. Anyway, to be completely serious for the moment, as we come to the end, schools are drowning in information, whether it's from the Department of Education or any of the many, many, many bodies that supposedly represent us. And it's just too much. There's absolutely no way any school could keep up to date with all the information coming at us and no amount of summaries or information packs or resource packs make it any easier. What makes it easier is very, very simple. It's so simple that it shouldn't have taken me nearly 33 minutes to even get to this point. And in some ways, it's going to be a total anti-climax to you. There needs to be a rule that the Department of Education is only allowed to release circulars once a term, max, Ma- or maximum, <laughs> to, use a, to use a full word. It deserves it. One a term, maximum. I told you you'd be, you'd be disappointed. You know, and honestly, that, that's it. Except for one extra thing, one little thing. Before the circular is released, the ITO and IPPN, at the very, very least, need to approve it. I'm not interested in them reacting to it with their faux outrage and their, you know, hysteria and all that sort of stuff or their claims for how great they are. I want them to see that termly circular and to go through it and decide what is reasonable. I want the INTO to start using two of its letters more often. That's the N and the O. No. I want the IPPN to stop telling us to use their pew model and I want them to use it themselves and tell the Department of Education what school leaders can take on now. They need, they need to use their pew model themselves. Sorry, I call this P-I-E-W model pew. I just find it kind of funny. Uh, you probably wouldn't. But um, anyway, I, 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 I think the IPPN are always telling us to use the model. I think they need to use that model when they're talking to the Department of Education at their cosy little primary education forum meetings. Now, while I absolutely understand this will slow things down, perhaps a little bit too much even for me, maybe that's what we actually need. We need to plan properly. Now, I was no fan of Richard Bruton, and this is the second former Minister for Education, or third Minister for uh, uh, Education I've mentioned uh, in this podcast. Gosh, Richard Bruton, um, Rory Quinn and Joe McHugh, all, all featuring in a podcast. But to be fair to Richard Bruton, he could plan. He planned. I didn't like his planning. Do you remember Kumasu? Um, yeah, Kumasu. Um, it was the 87 targets he wanted primary schools to reach in 2019. Fine. 
There were way too many targets, and a lot of them were aspirational at best. But if the INTO and IPPN could have had, have had their mitts on it before it was released and told them what could and couldn't be done, I think there would have been a decent document there. By limiting the Department of Education to three circulars a year, it gives some breathing space, which is well needed. And obviously, if there's a crisis, like COVID-19, for example, we do have to make exceptions. Granted, I'm not going to be, you know, you can't be unreasonable, I suppose. But in the normal run of things, there should be no need for the Department of Education to release so many circulars. It would give them a chance to prioritise the messages going out to schools, and it would give them a chance to plan them properly. It would also give them a chance to bring things together to start to simplify the system. And I don't think it would be that difficult, and I'm sure nobody would be any worse for it either. Ultimately, if you reduce things and uh, to reduce the number of circulars, it makes people think about what they're putting in because they only have three chances in a year. If you can add things willy-nilly throughout the year, then people will add things willy-nilly and there'll be loads and loads of circulars and this will increase all the workload. If you have to think about it, then you're going to be more careful in what you're producing. So ultimately, if I were the Minister for Education, I would insist that we would only uh, produce one circular per term to primary schools. So that's it from me this uh, week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in every Friday evening for our next podcast. Uh, The podcast, if you found it by accident, can be found everywhere from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to any other podcasting app you use. I like using CastBox on my phone. Um, You can find us by, uh, find us, find me, by searching for onshot.net or on Shaw's podcast or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really, really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast so each new episode is uh, in your inbox uh, a little bit sooner than everybody else can find it and if you do like the podcast I'd really appreciate a review because it helps more teachers find it uh, more easily anyway that is it for me for this week thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you again all the best bye bye